Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, if we haven't met, uh, as Stanley just mentioned, my name is Mike, and it's, uh, it's great to be up the front again, uh, bringing God's word to us uh, together. Now, we are celebrating a, a long weekend, and so uh, what better way to set the mood than to preach in a Hawaiian shirt and jandals? Uh, yeah, just to set, set the tone. Uh, that being said, today's message is... Um, Probably as far away as you can get from the beach and the holiday season. Uh, In fact, some of us here might consider the word that I'm going to use for this message a four-letter swear word, uh, not to be spoken of, especially in this context of a long long week. And I am, of course, talking about the word work. Uh, It's a topic that brings up many different feelings, doesn't it? Like maybe work for you, um, when that word comes up, uh, there's a sense of an idea of maybe boredom comes up, or dread, monotony, the grind, maybe a necessary evil. Maybe you're retired and uh, work is a distant memory. (laughs) Whatever we think and, and feel about work, love it or hate it, it's a huge part of our lives. So we need to think a bit more deeply and clearly on this important topic. For example, when we think of work, we immediately go to paid employment as our default definition. And while this is a good starting point uh, for what work is, we do need to expand our horizons, as work entails more than just the exchange of time for money. For For example, Parenting. Is parenting work? Yeah. Yeah, betcha. That's hard work right there. Or students. Is study a form of work? Yeah, of course. Retirees. While you're no longer in paid employment, there are still other forms of work that you engage in on a daily basis, like relationships. Relationships can be hard work. Relationships need time and money, uh, time and care, sorry, for them to flourish. Yeah, sometimes money too. <laughs> and all of us know, whether we are retired or not, that if we don't work around our home, tidy, clean, vacuum, repair, if these things aren't done, our homes will begin to deteriorate, as well as our health. Without us putting in work or effort, uh, things around us fall apart and break down. So work is a hugely important aspect of our lives. And yet more often than not, the way we think about work indicates that something has gone wrong here. Something has gone wrong with work. We have these mixed feelings about work. I know I do. I can flip-flop between really enjoying an aspect of my work to really getting stressed out and frustrated with it. So clearly something has gone wrong, and our concept of work and, of what, of work and why it actually matters. So to tackle this question this morning of why work matters how, and how we are to engage with our work, we will turn to our Bibles this morning. 
And as strange as this might first sound, we discover that originally work was created good. Now, deep down, I think we all know this. There is a sense of satisfaction that we get, maybe only occasionally, but after a good, honest day's hard work, there's some satisfaction there, some pleasure. And I think we've all experienced that. And these glimpses of enjoyment in work make sense when we read in Genesis how God created the world. You see, work is good because God works. Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You see, God takes our ancestors, Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden to work to take care of God's good creation, to steward and to tend to it. Genesis seems to imply that while Eden was a beautiful paradise, a tamed garden, the rest of creation was still wild and untamed. And so God's mandate for us, for humanity, was to spread out, create beauty and order out of the wilderness to create a God-honoring culture and society through the work we do. So because God is creative in his work, since we are created in his image, we too are creative in our work. Now, we can't create ex nihilo, you know, out of nothing. Only God speaks and creates out of nothing. But we reflect God's uh, creative nature when we take those raw materials God has created and create beauty. My five-year-old daughter, she loves to take a blank piece of paper and some crayons or some paint and create art, something that is beautiful and pleasing to her. She's simply taking those raw materials and creating beauty through her work. She, like all of us, is created in the image of God. And like a mirror, we reflect, we mimic, we like to copy our Heavenly Father. So if God works, then we want to work too, as creatures made in his image. And we see this all the time in young kids, right? Like my son, when he was about 17 months old, he'd see me talking on the phone all the time. So he'd see what Daddy was doing, and he'd want to copy. He'd want to do what Daddy was doing. So if I left my phone unguarded on the coffee table, he would pick it up, put it to his ear, wander around the house, you know, pretending he was chatting to someone real cute until he dialed the emergency services. (laughs) Uh, We got him a pretend phone after that. But he just wants to do what he sees Dad doing. And that's like... And that's like us, when we, with our Heavenly Father. We want to reflect back what God is doing. And so one aspect of being made in the image of God is to enjoy work like God does. And so while we catch glimpses of this uh, enjoyment in work, unfortunately, this isn't the feeling we have for the majority of uh, our time at work, is it? Most of the time, our work can feel frustrating and difficult or boring. It's like we're not in tune with our surroundings. 
and we find ourselves like fighting against the grain of the universe, something has gone wrong. And so we discover that our, our good work has now been corrupted by sin. Work was good, but now evil has entered into the world, including the realm of work. Genesis chapter 3 describes this sad day when our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given the choice to love God or to rebel. And they chose to rebel. And on that day they rebelled, our world fractured and shattered. Sin infected and affected every aspect of our lives. Our relationship with God broke. Our relationships with each other broke. Animals and nature rebelled against us. And of course, our purpose and enjoyment and work broke. No longer would, we, would work be fulfilling and enjoyable, but now it would be marked with frustration and toil. In Genesis uh, 3, 17 to 18, we read, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. When sin entered the world, it corrupts and twists everything it touches, ultimately destroying the thing it infects, including the area of work. So now we have work or jobs that God never intended to be as jobs. The multi-billion dollar pornography industry is built on a corrupted world view of work and sex. Drug cartels, gangs, prostitution, the list goes on of, of jobs God never intended us to have. And not only do we have immoral work, but also there are ways, there's unethical ways of work. We have developed sweatshop labor where people work long hours in poor conditions for a wage that doesn't cover the cost of their living. It's modern-day slavery. People are overworked. Have you heard of the term 996 work culture? It's super common and even expected in the Chinese work culture where people are expected to work from 9am to 9pm, six days a week. Hence the term 996. The rhythm of work, life, uh, family life, and rest has broken down. It's gotten out of balance. Then there is bribery and corruption in all areas and all levels of work. Scams, pyramid schemes. But unethical work, it doesn't have to be these big elaborate um, scams. It can simply be advertising one thing but delivering something inferior or you've skimped on something, watered something else down. The list goes on and on on how work has been corrupted and twisted by sin. And all of these, well, these are examples of how sin affects our outward effort, our uh, production of work. But unfortunately, sin also affects the inner drive or the motivation around the area of work. How we view or think of work, this also gets twisted and corrupted. Firstly, we can think too highly of work when work becomes our idol, something we give too much time, too much money, too much effort towards, this is where we can fall into the trap of attributing our self-worth and our identity to the work we do. 
So now work becomes this thing where we, we worship uh, in a vain attempt, thinking it will give us the acceptance we desperately crave. We say things to ourselves like, if I can just get the next level in my career, then I'll be a success. Then people will respect me. But what happens if we don't reach that milestone? Idols, like worshipping our work with our time, money, and our effort, make for horrible masters that in the end crush us, leaving us feeling worthless and subhuman. Work can be an idol of the heart. Or secondly, we could go the opposite direction, where we seek to avoid work. There is a character in the, uh, in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, described as the sluggard. And the sluggard is someone who is lazy, enjoying long sleep-ins every day, avoiding the responsibility of work, providing for themselves, their family, and God's kingdom. So sin has affected all aspects of our work. There's not one aspect of our work that has been unaffected by the curse of sin. This is the world we live in, church. It's a complete mess. And if you're like me, you get pulled in all kinds of directions. Sometimes you catch that glimpse of what work is supposed to be like. There'll be satisfaction and joy. But it's fleeting, ethereal, a mist, you know? Here for a moment, then gone. Other days, well, you'll wonder why you even bother working. What's the point? Or as a writer in Ecclesiastes puts it, utterly meaningless. Everything is utterly meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Church, what do we do with work? Well, like all good stories, every great movie plot, when things are at their worst, when all hope seems lost, and it seems like the bad guy is going to win, every good story has the hero. The hero arrives. Church, we need a hero. We can't get ourselves out of this mess that we've created. We need Jesus. Jesus is the hero. He is the hero of the Bible. He is the hero of my life. And I hope he is the hero of your life. You see, Jesus not only uh, entered into his creation to restore us back into right relationship with God, but also to restore all areas of our lives that have been damaged by sin, including the area of work. So let me show you how Jesus not only affirms the importance of work, but that he doesn't trivialize our hardships that come with work that he understands what it's like to have a bad day at work. He understands the feelings that come from work. So how does Jesus affirm uh, the importance of work? Well, have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus entered into our world? Like, if I was God and my plan was to teach people how to receive eternal life uh, by then dying, on, uh, dying for them on a cross, being raised to life, then why not simply just arrive on earth in human form as a fully grown 30-year-old Jewish male, just walk out the desert, uh, teaching, preaching, healing people to prove you are the son of God? Wouldn't that have been a much more efficient use of time? Why spend nine months in Mary's womb? 
Why spend time being fed and burped, having your nappy changed and being put to sleep? Why bother being a kid and having to learn stuff? And I would have definitely skipped adolescence. <laughs> Why then go into trade school, uh, from, you know, learn a trade from your adopted father? Why did God go through all of these stages of life? Yes, to identify with us, with humanity. Yes, to fulfill prophecies. But I also think it's God bringing dignity, respect, honour and self-worth back into our broken world of work. You see, Jesus didn't skip the stage of being carried in his mother Mary's womb or being birthed or having to depend on her as a helpless baby. This is not to take away from uh, God's glory, but the opposite. This is God saying how motherhood is so important, that a mum's job is no small matter, but it is so important, God is not going to skip that part of his life. Mums, your work is super important. Don't ever think less of your work. And of course, us dads too, our job is important as Joseph helped raise Jesus. So fatherhood is important. Community is important. There would have been cousins and nephews and nieces and aunties and uncles and uh, neighbors and a whole community. God didn't skip any of that. And then Jesus grew up and studied. We see an aspect of that, of that side of Jesus when he was 12 years old uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus gets left behind in Jerusalem by mistake. His family go out looking for him. And we read this in Luke 2.46, that after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So being a student and learning was important to Jesus. And those of us here who are students uh, should work hard get good grades, just as Jesus was a great student. And of course, those here who are teachers, well, clearly your job is important. Um, Again, Jesus, he didn't skip out this part of life. Next, the scriptures reveal how Jesus learned to trade. Now, in those days, when boys hit age 12, their dad would uh, begin to teach uh, the trade to his son. Uh, So Joseph, as Jesus' adopted father, uh, was a carpenter or a skilled craftsman, it says in the Greek. So that's the trade Jesus learnt uh, learnt growing up. Luke's Gospel also tells us that uh, Jesus started teaching, uh, started his his prophetic ministry, his ministry, uh, at roughly the age of 30. So Jesus basically swung a hammer for 18 years. 18 years, church, of just building, building stuff. Jesus is showing us that our work is important, no matter how little or trivial you think it might be. But he doesn't just stop there. Jesus also knows what it's like to experience the difficulties we face and the feelings that come with those difficulties, um, that they are valid. And by God's good grace, we don't have to stay trapped by them, those frustrations that we, we come across in work. So what do I mean by that? Well, does your work tire you out? Do you finally put the kids to bed and you're just shattered? Or you've crammed so hard for that exam that you're just, you know, exhausted? Feel feel like that sometimes? 
We're in good company, I believe. Jesus got worn out and tired doing his job. You see, as you read about Jesus, his life in the Gospels, you'll read how Jesus, he got up early to pray, taught his disciples and the crowds. He would heal people. His critics and enemies was constantly harassing him, so he's arguing with them. He's constantly walking, walking everywhere. And it's a hot country. That's a lot of work. Jesus was busy. You know, and I bet his work was physically, mentally, and emotionally tiring. In fact, I think we get a glimpse of this, some evidence of how tiring Jesus' work was in Mark 4, verse 37 to 38. We read how Jesus and the disciples were in boats, crossing the lake when a furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And what was Jesus doing during that storm? Taking a nap. Who goes to sleep on a tiny boat that's going up and down and left and right, being swamped by the wind, the rain, and the waves? I mean, seriously. I mean, today we have modern ferries that are huge, like the Inter-Islander. And when they hit rough conditions, I guarantee you no one's thinking about taking a nap when that boat's going and all this. They phone ahead, don't they, to the port and say, hey, make sure there's extra cleaning crew on board. Right, that's, how that, 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 that's how that goes down. And yet here's Jesus in a boat, fast asleep. He's tired. He's catching up on some Zs. So it's okay to be tired at work. It's okay to say, God, I feel so shattered today. Time out. Just time out. Please give me your strength to, and grace to carry on. And you know what God will say? I know exactly how you feel. I totally understand. And that's what's so amazing about the Christian faith. The God we worship knows what the human experience is like. He's not some distant, far-off God, but the God, through his son Jesus, acknowledges and affirms our struggles with work. Isn't that amazing? No other religion or faith can boast of their God understanding personally the human condition. Jesus is unique. Okay, what about frustrations at work? Ever get frustrated at work? Well, again, I think you're in good company, as Jesus got frustrated. In Mark 9, 19, a, a dad brings his son to Jesus, explaining how uh, the disciples couldn't heal his son. So let's read what Jesus' reply was in this situation, bearing in mind we're not sure if he's referring to his slow-learning uh, disciples, that he's referring to the dad, or there's even some scribes there, um, some teachers there, uh, some critics. Uh, so here's his reply in Mark 9.19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I put up with you? Or shall I stay with you? How long should I uh, put up with you? Bring the boy to me. There's a bit of frustration there, eh? And frustration isn't wrong or, or sinful. It's, it's what we then do with that frustration that reveals our heart. You know, will it make us or break us? So when we read a verse like that in our Bible, it gives us permission in our place of work just to say, ah, you know, God help. <laughs> now, we don't dwell or stay in that place forever, right? We don't relive those feelings over and over again. Uh, because even though Jesus got frustrated, he acknowledged the feeling, he didn't dwell on it. He then healed the boy and used that experience as a way to train his disciples again. 
Uh, so again, work can be frustrating, and that's okay. Okay, well, okay, one more. Do you ever get stressed at work? <laughs> I mean, that's a silly question, isn't it? Uh, work gets stressful, doesn't it? It does. And again, we see that Jesus experiences uh, these feelings of stress while he was on earth. Jesus, in the moments leading up to his betrayal, his arrest and his death, went through a period of intense uh, stress as his work led him to the cross and to our victory in him. Let's look at how Luke describes what effect stress had on Jesus as he prayed in the garden just prior to his arrest. This is Luke 22, verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a verse that you know, scholars debate over in a sense of was the stress causing Jesus just to sweat so profusely, just pour it off him like blood? Or was he so stressed uh, over his impending torture and death that the capillaries that carry the blood actually ruptured and mixed with the sweat so that he actually did bleed due to the intense stress? Either way, we see Jesus having to deal with stress at work. And again, he doesn't dwell in it, but he acknowledges it. He moves on by drawing strength from the Holy Spirit as he prays and submits to the Father. Now, I could go on with other examples of how Jesus sympathizes with our work, with our struggles at work, but I think you get my point. Jesus affirms that our work not only matters by experiencing all of human life and not skipping out on sections, but that it's also okay to have and acknowledge those feelings that come from sin's effect on our work. It's okay. He shows us that we can ask for God's grace to help us in those times of difficulty from the God who understands what we face in our work. If there is one point you remember this morning, let it be this one. Work matters because work is an act of worship. I'll say it again. Work is an act of worship. That's what Jesus was showing us. How we work will either reflect the image of and glory of our Heavenly Father, or it will be a false worship directed at our own self, our own human pride. Theologian Harold M. Best sums this up so wonderfully succinctly in his book, Unceasing Worship. He says this, Everybody is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. We are, every one of us, unceasing worshippers. Worship is what we do 24-7. We can't turn it off. It's not just the songs we sing here on a Sunday morning, but it's the culmination of everything we do day in and day out. That means that uh, dirty, the dirty nappies you change. That's an act of worship. It's honoring God by loving the child that is in your care. That pleases Him. Alternatively, if you're at your desk at work watching TikTok videos on your phone, that's worship too. It's just you're worshiping yourself, not God. And what this all does 
is it smashes this false idea of there being uh, secular work and sacred work. You know, like if I work for the church, this is more holy. And if I'm just a, you know, a builder, I'm not so holy. It shatters that, that false premise. All our work is an act of worship. It's just the direction it's aimed at that matters. It's either going up to God or inward to our own pride-filled egos. So what we are doing now as we come together in corporate worship is really us just bringing our week of work and laying it at the feet of Jesus as the culmination of that week's work. Some of our work this week won't be acceptable to God. That's why as Christians, we come to God in repentance. We get things wrong. And repentance restores us back into right ways of worship. And some of our work this week is acceptable acts of worship. It's like a a fragrant offering, you know, rising up to God. That's why our collective worship together can be so powerful. It's a beautiful prayer, rising up to God. Look, I know, we've covered a lot this morning. Work was created good. It was being corrupted and twisted by sin. Jesus has entered our world, showing us that work matters. He shows us that it's okay to have the feelings and emotions that come with work in a broken world. And we've seen how our work matters because work is an act of worship. That's a lot to cover in 20 odd plus minutes. So let me close with a story that I hope will uh, help maybe simplify this all down into a memorable illustration for us to grasp. It's another illustration from the time when my son was about 18 months old. Oh, and as a side note, I did uh, ask my 11-year-old son, hey, is it okay to use these stories? I never want him to feel embarrassed or just think that his life is a giant sermon illustration. (laughs) Uh, So he's all good with that. So we're good, we're good. So okay, so back when Isaac was about 18 months old, Shana and I, uh, we rented a small one-bedroom house that was surrounded by gardens, like no lawns. So every month I'd, I'd get out into the, into the gardens to tend to the small veggie patch and uh, pull out weeds that were you know, everywhere. So one morning I'm out there pulling weeds when my son sees me in the garden. Remember how I mentioned that kids just, you know, want to do what their dads are doing, what their parents are doing? Well, that was Isaac. He's thinking, hey, dad's out in the garden. That's where I need to be. So Isaac ran out and helped me uh, in the garden. And let's be honest, I mean, the dude was like a little eco-terrorist, like anything green just got yanked out, you know, like it was, it was, it was not good. Uh, so I would have to stop and uh, well, stop what I'm doing and explain to Isaac, hey, you know, no, we don't pull that one out. We just put that one back. We pull this one out. And there's lots of explaining, lots of repetition, uh, lots of, hey, copy me. And then he'd get sidetracked and start putting the decorative garden stones in the compost bin and then watch Dad trying to fish them out. He thought that was hilarious. But in spite of all that chaos, for the next half hour, he was working with me in the garden and we shared some great time together. Now, did I need his help? No. I would have done it way faster without him. But boy, did we have fun working together out in the garden. My son was spending time with me, his daddy. And isn't working with our heavenly father like this? 
Like God doesn't need uh, our help telling the world about Jesus. Angels would do a far better job than we could ever do. Way more efficient. But boy, he loves it when his kids come to work with him and spend time with him. And much like Isaac's initial helping, where you know, not knowing any better, he simply pulled out anything and everything in the garden, or going off topic and moving stones around. Look, I'm sure we've made mistakes, we've made mistakes, and we will make mistakes in our enthusiasm to do what he has asked us to do, both in word and in deed. But God can use and fix those mistakes. And if we listen to him, he'll show us what he is doing and how he is doing it so we can better represent him in our place of work, whatever our work looks like. So I want to invite you. Our Heavenly Father, He's out in the garden. He's out in the world fixing it, tending to it, tending to the brokenhearted, the downtrodden, the oppressed. So let's go out and join Him. Let me close this message this morning uh, in prayer before I hand over to Pastor Stanley. Would you bow your hearts with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for not only bringing us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father, but thank you for showing us how to live lives that please and glorify the Father. We are so amazed that when, you, when we come to you, you know how we feel because you've been there. You've experienced the brokenness. So we ask for more of your grace in our lives especially in the areas of our work, please. Holy Spirit, I ask that you continue to help each of us this week in whatever our work looks like. Help us to see what our Heavenly Father is doing in the world. Help us to learn from Him. And so, Father, we close our prayer to you this morning with the end of Psalm 90. Let your work, Father, be shown to us, your servants, and your glorious power to our children. Let the favor of you, our Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whānau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.